Jai Jinnanda, let's start with the Nokar Mantra. Om Namo Arihantanam, Om Namo Sitanam, Om Namo Ayadiyanam, Om Namo Vajayanam, Namo Luesavasahunam, Eso Panchanam Mukaro, Sava Pava Panasanam, Mangalalancha Savesim, Paramam Rave Mangalam, I'd like to discuss the different sects of Jainism today, but there's some important information to talk about first. First is that I have love and respect for everybody. We're going to go over the pros and cons of the different sects and talk about different people. And it's not my intention in this discussion to denigrate anybody if I call something a con. As we know, as we've learned from this class, all strengths are weaknesses and all weaknesses are strengths. So if I discuss something as a con, as far as a particular sect of Jainism or a particular person, uh, that might be a weakness in a different light. And if I, if I discuss something as a weakness, that might be a strength in a different light. So, uh, that's first. Second, it is the policy of the JSH to serve everybody as Jains inclusively. And I doubt there is even an official recognition that uh, different sects of Jainism exist. The JSH exists to serve everybody. Thanks to everybody that just joined, we're talking about the different sects of Jainism today. Third, the doctrinal differences between the sects have almost nothing to do with the laity, that is, the shravaks like you and me. Mostly they have to do with the monks and nuns of Jainism, or the sadhus and sadvis. So why should we learn about the different sects uh, if, if we're, we're going to discuss today, if they have almost no bearing on the spiritual progress of you and me. Why are we even here? Why is this even a discussion? Well, first is to understand one another and to understand the history of how we got here. Because if we don't understand history, then it's easy to let the words and actions of the people who do understand history to divide us and manipulate us. And second, we actually are making spiritual progress by discussing this, the different sects of Jainism because we're practicing anikantvad and multiplicity of viewpoints. And if we have a strongly held belief, we have to understand why somebody else has the opposite strongly held belief. And so I do think that it's important, even though you may come away with this not making any changes to your life. So let's talk about the creation of different sects of religion in general. Uh, there are two main ways that a sect gets created. First, in good economic times, the piousness of people is relaxed. Very pious people learn to keep their mouth shut during good economic times because they're going against the flow of the majority of people. Then when the good times end, those pious people begin a backlash to get things back to the way they were, the way they think that things should be. Now, whether it's the relaxed people 
or the pious people that created the schism depends on what side you're on. The second way a sect gets created is by a very powerful individuals. And that power can be in different ways. First, it can be the power of the head of state. Second, it can be the power of a charismatic person. And sometimes it's the power of a very pious person, a very educated person and a very learned person that leads by example. So those are the different ways that sex get created. So as many of us know, the main sects of Jainism are Shvetambars and Digambars. And before we talk about them, we have to get into the Agams. So there, when Mahavir Swami laid out his teachings for everybody, remember he set up the Jain Sangh as we know it today, his sermons were divided into 12 parts and we call them 12 Agams. And they were all memorized. Um, none of them were written down. It was just a memorization from uh, student to pupil all the way down. And there are pros and cons, believe it or not, Believe it or not, there are some pros to having only memorization and no written policy. Um, so that's all we need to know about Agams. And now to describe Shwetambars and Digambars, <clears throat> thank you to everybody just who just joined. We're talking about the different sects of Jainism today. You need to know two people. You need to know Shuta Kevli Badrabahu Acharya. We're just going to call him Badrabahu Acharya. And the next person you need to know is Stulibhadra Acharya. So in the third century BCE, Shrut, uh, Badrabahu Acharya, either different sources say different things. Some sources say he predicted a 12 year long famine and some sources say he left during the beginning of the famine. But either way, he took about 12,000 monks from Magad, which is in modern day Bihar, and he moved them to South India, to a place called Shravan Belgola, which is modern day Karnataka. And he was so powerful that the emperor of Magad abdicated his throne to his son so he could travel with Badrabahu to escape the famine. So while they were in Shravan Belgola, Badrabahu dies. And his disciple, his name is Chandragupta. He takes over. Now, back in Magadh, Stuli brother, Stuli brother, excuse me, um, had relaxed certain rules of Jainism. Specifically, the rule of nudity for monks was relaxed. So at the time when the members of the ascetics came back to Magad, they were all naked and they were surprised to see their brothers and sisters were now clothed in white robes. So let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Can anybody tell me the purpose of clothing? Not in Jainism, not for monks, just the clothes you're wearing right now. What is the purpose? Protection. Very good. Protection of the body. 
clothes protect you from scrapes and cuts from trees and grass and concrete and absolutely number one function of clothes protection anything else weather related like cold uh, and heat yes absolutely protection from the weather How about this one? Clothes are a vehicle by which we can ornament ourselves and express ourselves. Now, I know what you're thinking. It sounds like the fashion industry. And that's exactly right. Uh, you express yourself whether you want to or not by the clothes you wear. Now, you may think, no, no, I don't. I don't, um, I don't pay attention to fashion. I don't care about fashion. But there's no not playing the game if you wear clothes. You, you, you may say, oh, I just wear what looks good to me. Well, what looks good to you is influenced by the people around you, the fashion trendsetters and all of that. You cannot not play the fashion game. So you are expressing yourselves whether you want to or not by the simple act of putting on your clothes. So that's number two. Uh, number one is protection. Number two is ornamentation and expression. And I think it would be an easy answer if that was all of these, because, um, you know, Jainism says, hey, you're not supposed to be attached to things and you're not your body. So throw out protection and throw out this fashion game because you're not supposed to be a part of the game. But there's a third one that makes it a controversial subject, right? Another function of clothes is to hide your body. Okay, because I don't really want to notice the differences in people's bodies. I don't really want to know, oh, that person's uh, got, you know, some mark on their body there, or this person has a little bit of fat on their body there, or, you know, that person's body is shaped like that. It hides your body. And that way we can look at each other without making judgments about people's bodies, right? So those are the three that I came up with. Protection, ornamentation, and hiding the body. So now when these group of monks come back to Magad and they see all their Jain brothers now wearing white robes and they're naked, it's a shock to them, right? They're saying, hey, what's going on? You are not supposed to be attached to things and clothes are an attachment and being naked reminds you you are not your body. When you get a cut from a tree because you're naked or your feet hurt because you're walking on hard ground, who cares? That reminds you you're not your body. Okay, but I imagine that the people, the ascetics who wore white robes will say, hey, we're just hiding our body. We don't want to judge people or things like that. We're not trying to express ourselves that they're all white. You know, it's all white robes. Um, we're not trying to express ourselves. We're not trying to protect ourselves. We're just hiding our body. And that's the reason they did it. So that was the first big surprise. The second big surprise when these uh, ascetics came back are that there had been some inconsistencies in the memorization of the agams. And this is a very big deal, uh, perhaps more so than the clothes. Now, there's some uh, 
different sources say different things about this council of Patliputra. That is, there was a council of Jain learned folks, and they said, hey, let's write this down. Let's write down the Agams. And some people say the council happened prior to the return to Magadh of these ascetics. And some people say it happened after. But for our purposes, we're going to say it happened before. So Badrabahu has died. He is one of the few people that memorized all 12 Agams. And so now we have this problem where you're finding inconsistencies. So certain people have said, hey, this inconsistency is in the 12th Agam. You got the 11 right. You wrote it down correctly. But the 12th one is wrong. But now you can see how some people would say, hey, what are you doing? You're relaxing these rules. You got these Agams wrong. I'm not, I'm not considering anything you wrote down canon. Okay? So some people say 11 are correct. And some people say none are correct. Because you somehow got things twisted in the time that we were away. So the Svetambur tradition is the people that were relaxed. The people that had their monks and nuns wear white clothes and supposedly had written down the Agams. The Digambar tradition were the people that were less relaxed, more strict, and perhaps more pious. That is, they remained naked and they said either 11 of your Agams that you wrote down are correct or none of your Agams are correct. And only the oral tradition is the correct tradition. But there's good news. There are some texts that were written down before the Digambars left Magad. That is... Umaswami's Tatvarta Sutra. That was written down prior to that. So both Svetambars and Digambars agree on that text. So that's great because that's where a lot of what this book and what we have been discussing and everything that we've been teaching and discussing come from. So there's no difference there in what I'm telling you depending on whether you're Svetambar or Digambar. And so there are other things. There's a lot of things that both sects agree on. But there are some differences. Uh, we just discussed the two major differences. Another difference, now let's talk about minor differences. Uh, according to Digambars, when you achieve Gevaldyan, remember you get rid of um, all your Nana Varnia karma, but you're still a human, meaning you still have karma, you're just omniscient. According to Digambars, the omniscient do not eat anything. According to Svetambars, hey, they have a body, they still eat things, but as soon as they get karma, they automatically burn them because they have omniscience and they understand what they're getting and how to burn them, and they perform that penance right away. Next, uh, perhaps not so minor, the Digambars say that Mahavir Swami did not get married. Remember, they're the strict sect. According to the Svetambars, before taking diksha, that is, before renouncing the world, Mahavir Swami was married and had a daughter. And this is pretty important. Because even though it was before diksha, 
if the person that you revere gets married and has a daughter, that legitimizes it in some way. Uh, there's no restriction on Shravaks and Shravika. Again, once again, lay people getting married and having children. But we're talking about monks and nuns. So even though it was before Mahavir Swami took Diksha, which would seem to be a bright line, that's a very important difference because it does legitimize attachments. It legitimizes attachments to people and children and family. And we're supposed to be one of the major tenets of Jainism is non-attachment. Non-attachment to clothes, non-attachment to material things, and non-attachment to other souls. Next, the Digambars do not decorate the images of Tirthankars because when they represent Tirthankars, they represent them after achieving Gevilnyan. Whereas Swetambars do decorate the images of Tirthankars because when they represent the Tirthankars, they represent him as the life of a king or the life of a conqueror who conquered his internal enemies. So in a Digambar representation of the Tirthankar, they're naked, they have their eyes downcast, and um, they are non-attached. And that's what they like to think about. That's what they how they like to represent Tirthankar. In a Swetambar, they like to represent a Tirthankar as a conqueror, as somebody who conquered his enemy triumphant. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with being triumphant for conquering your enemies, such as anger, ego, deceit, and greed, unless you get too big an ego about it. All right. So those are the major differences. We're going to talk about more differences, and that will be with respect to the subsects, that there are subsects of Svetambar tradition and Digambar tradition. But let's talk about, I'm sure that you have a bunch to say. So let's talk about the differences, uh, questions or comments on what we discussed so far. Hey, David, this is a very in-depth discussion. I never had all history about it. So would appreciate if you share some sources at some point uh, about your research on this to dig up more. Sure, absolutely. There are questions or comments. I'm just very fascinated by the research, what you have done. Absolutely. We're in the book, in the chapter on Jain history. Okay. And, and that's where we got most of them. Other sources are the janeelibrary.org. There's some information there. And there's some other sources. Um, let's see where this is. janeworld.com. I looked there to do some cross-referencing. Um, those are the main sources. And that's when I say sources disagree, um, as far as the timing of certain things happening, that's, those are the sources that I've been looking at. Thanks. Yeah. In, in the book, uh, again, I, I agree with Bhavan, uh, that this is something very interesting and it's a storytelling, uh, which makes easier uh, to explain the different sex and uh, yeah it's uh, like you said there are there are other things that I'm, I'm interested in in going uh, going to regarding 
you know, how the other subsects came came along and such. All right, let's talk about the subsects of the Svetambar tradition. Remember, the Svetambars, uh, we can call them more relaxed, okay? So the first one, our first subsect of the Svetambars are Murti Pujaks, which is exactly like it sounds, worshippers of idols. They offer flowers, fruits, and sandalwoods to their idols and adorn them with rich clothes and jeweled ornaments. So let's talk about idol worship. Can somebody tell me the pros and cons of idol worship? And this is a big one, not only in Jain religion, it's a big one in every, almost every religion. And uh, most religions have people coming down on either side of this. I think, um, so my understanding of idol worship is, you know, there, there are, um, we say man vachan and kaya. So mind, uh, what then, like, you know, what you say it, and then kaya is what you do. And, you know, anything that you get, you want to get into your behavior, it's harder to get straight into mind. Uh, so when you want to, you want to gain something, you start with kaya, vachan and man, you know, you, you, you do it, you say it, and then you get it to your brain because it becomes over repetition a lot of different things by doing the puja of of bhagwan basically you are doing it so you are you're saying that this this bhagwan is a pujaniya bhagwan and by doing you are you're praising bhagwan's qualities and then you're saying bhagwan's qualities so you can get into your mind and that that's something that you want to be is gina is 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 my understanding and view of it very well said. That is, it's very hard to sit down and think and practice Jainism. It's much easier to do a puja with some physical objects that focuses your mind. Idol worship focuses your mind on a particular thing. And that particular thing is good for you to be thinking about. Okay, here's a con. When we offer flowers, well, we're causing pain to a jeev. A flower has a soul just like you and I. And when we pick a flower for a garland and offer it to an idol, it's simply unnecessary. When we're offering food to an idol, and I'm not sure what happens to that food later, it could be a waste of food, which is certainly wrong. Um, so... There's a con to idol worship. Any other pros and cons to idol worship? Uh, like like you said, uh, with the food, I mean, think about other resources that, that can be also considered as a waste, right? I mean, the caser used or uh, water to clean it afterwards and, and things like that. Certainly, um, when we use ghee and light the ghee or light an incense stick, we're causing a great amount of harm because uh, we are killing very microscopic beings seemingly for no reason other than our own benefit. Yes, Parish. I was just going to say, uh, it also, on the con side, it also uh, uh, engenders 
a competitive element where we, you know, somebody, some song spends a million dollar for a pratishta, then the ante is raised for another pratishta. We have helicopters dropping flowers and uh, I think it just becomes uh, completely different than what the intention is. Right. And we did that here. Uh, uh, you may you may not know, but Boris is referencing. We did have a helicopter drop flowers at the JSH a, a while ago um, when we had our pratista. So that's fine. So here's the last thought I'll give to you about that. Before you decide you don't agree with idol worship, and before you decide you don't agree with killing flowers for no reason or lighting things on fire for no reason, let me tell you that you probably wouldn't be Jane if it wasn't for that. That is, you probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Now, I know a lot of people complain about, well, you know, there was a time when Hinduism was getting very popular and we imported some of the Hindu pujas and we turned them Jain. We imported some of the Hindu songs and we that's why all these prayers have the same tune, right? Because we imported some of that and they're kind of, you know, they look down on their nose upon that. But remember that we are people. Uh, we're not people, we're souls. We're souls trapped in a human body, right? And there, even if Jainism is the truth, that doesn't mean that it can't die out. In fact, it is destined to die out until the next Tirthankar revives it. That is, there is the real possibility that Jainism would have died out earlier if not, if we did not do those things, if we did not allow the flowers, if we did not allow the fire, because people like to do that. Okay, there's something about human beings, which we are not, but we are souls trapped in a human being's body. There's something about our brain that likes to do that, that likes to place something on a pedestal and bow down before it and really lionize that pedestal, whether it's an idol, whether it's another person, whether it's an idea, whether it's a set of an ideas like the Constitution of the United States, whether it's a set of principles. And if we didn't do that, if we didn't compete with Hinduism, then it, we wouldn't be here. So before you look down on your down your nose at those things, remember that those are the things that might have kept Jainism alive. So let's go to the next one. Um, the next one is the Stanakvasis. And this was created by a rich and well-read merchant of Ahmedabad. And his name was Lonkasha, Lonkasha. And he founded the Stanakvasis in 1453. Uh, so what happened was that things got a little out of hand. So we created these temples and now we have, we created caretakers of the temples. But the caretakers of the temples weren't the sadhus and sadvis. They were a different set of people and they were called yatis. And so they were performing rituals and they were helping people at the temple. And this man, Lunkasha, 
said, hey, what are you doing? Why are you telling people to do flowers? Why are you telling people to do food? This has nothing to do with Jainism. And so he created, a, he espoused non-idol worship. And he uh, only agrees with certain authenticities of the, uh, uh, of the agams. So it's important which agams you decide that are correct or not. So he is a backlash against this idol worship. So Stanakvasis do not worship idols. The next subsect of, remember we're talking about Svetambars, the next one is the Therapanthis. Now this is a very interesting topic. So the Therapanthis were founded by Swami Bikanaji Maharaj. And they were founded in about 1760 AD. They consider mercy and charity work as the social duty of lay people. People like you and me were supposed to do mercy and charity work. That's great. However, the proper way to do mercy and charity work is to give that charity to people who take vows. Remember, as human beings, we're the only people that can take vows. So we might as well encourage people to take vows. And so here's the big one. The Therapanthis are organized under the complete direction of one Acharya. And that Acharya was, first it was Swami Maharaj, next it was Acharya Tulsi, and after, since 2003, it's Acharya Mahaprajnaji, has been the one Acharya since 2003. So this is very seductive to be, and keep in mind, I, I'm never going to accomplish the things that Acharya Tulsi does. I'm going to criticize it, but I'm, I'm never going to um, travel to almost every part of India, show particular concern for education on study. I'm never going to find an institute for higher learning in the Jain field that is recognized by the Indian government as a deemed university. Acharya Tulsi was an amazing man. But it's very seductive to put the power in one person. This is, we, this is called like, you can think of it like the Pope. Or you can think, how I think of it is the, I have a guy. It's very nice to have a guy. If I have a question about Jainism, I have a guy I can go ask and he'll tell me the right answer. If I have a disagreement with somebody else, we have a guy we can go to and he'll tell us the right answer. If I want to know what to do, where I should go, I have a guy I can go to and he'll tell me, hey, think about education, think about vows, think about coming to this institution I founded. Okay, it's, it's very seductive to have a guy. And many people would like a guy. And many people follow different guys. And I'm not sure if it's the right way to go. Because if you put your faith in the wrong guy, then he can easily manipulate you. I mean, these people are the right guys, okay? But I'm just saying, if there's just a one achara you follow then it's easy for that person to manipulate you and manipulate large masses of people. So what we know now that makes sense, but would we say the same question 600 years BC when 
Bhavin Swami was there, right? Oh, Bhavin, people don't change. Human nature doesn't change. In 600 BC, if they had a guy and he told them to do the wrong thing, they would do that then. We'd do that now. Correct. Yeah, and I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm saying that what would be the argument in 600 years BC when Marvin Swami was born and he was, you know, uh, doing the same thing and he was giving this, uh, uh, you know, all the agams were written at that time. He was the guy, right? Mahavir Swami was the guy, but he didn't say he was the guy. He said, I'm yeah, laying out the, the truth difference. before you. That's the difference. That's correct. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe Acharya Tulsi and the current Acharya Maha Prajnaji, maybe they do the same thing. Right. But the Therapanthis believe they want to follow the direction of one Acharya. And you can do more. If one person is organizing things and saying, hey, let's spend our time doing this. Let's spend our time thinking about this. They can do more. They can be more organized. They can do more good in the world than people that are not organized under one guy. Sure. No, you, you point out the difference. That's, that was the main thing. I, uh, I, I actually think we have a modern day uh, example, uh, Tim, of what you just said, where, you know, the... Um, uh, uh, Swaminarayan uh, people are led by one, you know, one figure that they seem to accomplish so many things. Whereas uh, we don't, we don't have that uh, set up, you know, in the Jain society, and we seem to struggle uh, accomplishing, uh, you know, whatever the projects that we take under. So. There is, I fully agree with you, there is a seductive element to succeeding uh, the, the, the power or the authority to, to one person. But when you, you it's mind of what you were saying, what is the alternative? The alternative to having a guy? A guy. The alternative to having a guy is to find out the truth for yourself, which is very hard, extremely hard. <laughs> okay, so questions or comments about any of the Svetambar subsects? So I think one thing I wanted to connect, so like, so we do have Jain Vishwa JVB here in Houston. And so that is, again, I'm, today I'm able to, to tie that that is part of Sri Thambar sect. Why, uh, or, yes, yes, Sri Thambar, and part of that is Sanakwasi subsect. Okay. Very good. Let's talk about some Digambar subsects. Let's talk about the Bisapantha. That is, so we have these religious monasteries, okay? And once again, I think it's a mistake not to have sadhus and sadvis in charge of the monasteries, but they're not. Supposedly they're not attached or they travel from different places. So 
they're not worried about monasteries, but now we have to have these authorities known as Bataraks that are in charge of the monasteries. So now these are the heads of the monasteries, these Bataraks. Okay, so now what are they in charge of? They're in charge of the monasteries, they're in charge of the Agams, and they're in charge of the financial affairs of the temples. So we have these Bataraks or these Yatis, and they start accumulating power. And so they're not necessarily sadhus and sadvis, but they're kind of sadhu and sadvi adjacent. <laughs> um, and so they start accumulating power and power and power, and there's a revolt against them because they have too much and their practices were excessive. Um, so these Bisapanthas start uh, worshipping not only the idols of Tirthankars, but now they start worshipping these Bataraks, okay, which is not good um, because they're just the head of the monasteries. Uh, next, we have Therapanthas. The Therapanthas were founded in 1627 as a revolt against the Bisapanthas, who are worshipping these Bataraks. Okay, so it's a backlash against the uh, worship of these normal people um, that have accumulated too much power. And next, very interesting, you have a Taranapanth. This was founded by Taranaswami. And this, uh, it, we're going to talk about idol worship again. And this person wanted to worship books and not idols. So, okay, so we know that, okay, there's good arguments against worshiping idols, but he wants to worship books. And so he gets a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I don't like idol worship. It's great. Um, we should worship these books. And so they are called Taranapanthas. Okay, so those are the three main Digambar subsects. There's actually a, a little bit more, but we don't have time to go into the kind of um, very small ones. Those are the three main Digambar subsects. I think um, there's there's not as much uh, variation in the ideology between the Digambar subsects because they're more strict than the Svetambars. So we have just two people to talk about next. And then um, we'll have run out of time. Any questions or comments about Digambar subsex? I have one question. Uh, for Occupy the various group, is that classified as a different one of these three? Does anybody have the answer? I know uh, Rakesh Bai is very popular. I think that there's a lot of people that adhere to his teachings. Um, does anybody have an answer? I do not. I'm sorry. What I have heard, he, and this is here and say, I've not listened to it directly. It's, he doesn't classify himself as Digambar or Svetambar or mainly even in, uh, I, I, uh, I'm going to talk about Srimad Rachandra. Is that one of the two people we're going to talk about, Timir? Yep, we are. Because I think, so Rakesh Bhai is a sort of a follower of Srimad Rachandra. So I think that's where we may find a linkage. 
with uh, uh, what you know what Rakesh Bhai may believe in. But what I've heard is he, he doesn't claim to be either Digambar or Shwetambar. I have seen uh, him doing some uh, Shwetambar type uh, activities in his uh, uh, pravachans and things like that that were live telecasted few uh, during pollution and stuff. So I, I I don't know, but I've I feel like he he has following some Shwetambar tradition. According to Wikipedia, he follows the Shwetambar. Murti Pujatak tradition of Jainism. I'll send you the wiki link. All right, so let's talk about Srimad Ramchandra. He was born in 1867 and he devoted his life to Jainism. He's been writing uh, about Jainism since he was eight and he wrote 800 letters chronicling his spiritual development. That's great because you can see where you are along the path if you compare yourself to where he is along the path and you can kind of see where you're going. So that's great. He wrote many small books and he wrote, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of poetry, including Attainment of the Soul and Moksha is the Way of Life. Um, and so he's a very powerful person that people follow and his power comes from his devotion and his, the sacrifices he made and the contributions he made to people's lives. So many see him as a great saint. He was influential on Gandhi, which means he was influential on India, which means he was influential on the world. And he really espoused, um, in Jainism, we often talk about ahimsa and ahimsa or nonviolence has kind of grown to be everything, everything about Jainism, because we define violence as mainly everything you can do. And so he was a very proponent of that interpretation where Ahimsa is the main thrust of Jainism and that's what Jainism should be known for. And that's, if you know one thing about Jainism, you know Ahimsa. Finally, let's talk about Sri Ganji Swami, who was born in 1889 and died in 1980, very recently. Um, he was a Stanakvasi monk, and at the age of 30, he studied Samaisar. And so he, popular, he popularized uh, Digambar texts. Remember, um, Digambar, some Digambars believe that only the 11 Agams are correct and the 12th one is not. And some believe that they're all not correct and they have a separate text. Um, and <clears throat> he popularized the text of Acharya Kundkund, <clears throat> who is very popular. And there you have it. So questions or comments about anything? So we talked about some controversial stuff. I criticized some things and I criticized some people and I wanna let you know that I have love and respect for everybody. I have love and respect for people of all religions, people of no religion and people uh, who are different sects of Jainism. And if I criticize something that you hold dear, then I'm very sorry and remember, all strengths are weaknesses and all weaknesses are strengths and I understand that. I understand, you know, the organizational powers of having a guy 
And I respect the works that people who have a guy do. And I understand the respect. Uh, people want to show their respect to idols by decorating them and offering fruit and flowers. And some people don't un- don't like that and think it's a waste. And I understand both sides of the story. And that's why there are sects because they're very controversial, right? And I just want to let you know that I respect everybody. So questions or comments about anything we talked about today? Uh, so I want to add, add one thing. So, you know, the, it, what might be interesting to know more about that I would like to know, for example, Shwetambar, where they decided to wear white clothes. It's very interesting because, you know, in the 12 years where um, the uh, Padre Bahuswami moved to uh, uh, Sean Belgoda, during that time frame, things were happening in, uh, in the area, I think, Magad, where, uh, or, yeah, wherever the Stuli Badra Acharya were. I think what, what I'll give you a quick analogy. For example, you know, when we do Pratikaman in India, men don't wear shirt. They're, the top is usually bare. And when we came here and we started wearing uh, a, a clothing, it's just normal now to see everybody in a, in a clothing, even if they are wearing jabos or something. So there might be things that happened in that 12 years. And like you said, to keep an existence of Jain religion, the adaptation happened, uh, whether it's a clothing, whether it's different kind of pujas, uh, you know, it maybe it was not spiritually, in, I, I don't know, I don't want to speculate. Again, I, this is a pure speculation. and uh, uh, But I'm just trying to connect dots and say, okay, the adaptation was done to keep up with the religion in the area where uh, Stulibadra uh, Acharya were there. Whereas he, uh, it, it's clear from what was said in the Shravan Belgoda, even Chandragupta Maurya got involved, who was an emperor. So you don't really have to work hard. I mean, an emperor is with you and you can keep up with your tradition. So I think that that seems like sort of a survival for existence uh, that, that kind of changed the tradition. At the same time, maybe the, the things were evolving and to keep people engaged on a, on a level, you have to do the, the rituals rather than just, you know, tell people to meditate. So that might be the other reason is, is what I'm thinking of, but it's it's definitely so interesting. Uh, I can't wait to, wait to tell the stories to kids in, in, in a way. Right. So your question is, what was in the air in Magad in the third century BC? What was going on? What was happening? What And, and that's a history question. Um, uh, we don't have that in this book. Um, we won't have that. That's that's the life's work of a historian is to try to understand what the values are that everybody adhered to and what is not said, what is taken for granted that everybody knows. Because nobody writes down the things that everybody knows, but pretty soon most people don't know it. And so that is the job of a, a historian is what was in the air in the third century BC in Magath. I'd like to know the answer to that as well. So knowing, knowing all these different sects about Jainism, it makes me wonder, like, uh, wouldn't it be okay to make changes as long as you know you are progressing towards your ultimate goal? For instance, if wearing the clothes at that time will be less destructive, 
would you not do it? Well, you've hit the nail right on the head. That's why these are controversial. People come down on different sides of the question and they think that they're right. And of course, you know, they think that the other people are taking people with them down the wrong path. And that's why people get so passionate about it. Right. Right. So, so, you know, you see that, um, you know, Gurudev and there are a lot of other things you see. There are certain things, obviously, everybody has their own opinion about it, but it's you at the end of the day, which counts how far you go with those traditions, with those new, new ways to approach based on what you have around you now. Um, and can you still be able to practice and do what you are supposed to do? So, you know, that example of flower picking, you know, what I heard and what my folks always told me is, because I don't do it and I, they always tell me, well, we put the clothes at the, we put them like a dry uh, piece of cloth under the, under those bushes and whatever flower falls, that's the only one we put. I said, but we go to there, sir, and there are, there's a, there's a person sitting with a full, oh, the whole basket full of flowers. And then some people say, well, I did not work it, so it doesn't matter, right? So, like, it's, it has those arguments, but it's at the end of the day what you feel and what you believe, I think, will take you to the next level. I would personally feel that way. Right. And some people say, well, by coming to the temple that does that, I am tacitly accepting that, or I am promoting, I am promoting that behavior. So then I don't want to go to that temple. I want to go to this temple that doesn't do that. Or I want to practice in this way that doesn't do that. And um, if you believe that, then that is what you will do. Yes, Barish. Um, I, this, is, uh, this is really beautiful. Uh, the last point, I think Bhavan brought it and you expanded on it. It's, I don't think either sect is trying to say we are better or we are we have or we are more virtuous or we 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 have a, 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 a you know more pure belief than the other other sect it's just two beliefs coexisting and people can make their own choice as to what the truth is but without denigrating the other. And I find that uh, the true essence of Jainism, I think, in, in my humble opinion. Very well said. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you giving me an hour to discuss, to work on all of our spiritual progress. Yes, Parish. Uh, real quick, I, I, I wanted to mention, Jim, uh, that uh, I regret missing one of the previous uh, sessions where you talked about uh, a question that I had asked uh, about how, how you know how to manage relationships better. You you were very kind enough to actually uh, you know talk bring that up as a, as a, as a topic for the entire session. I regret it. I listened to it. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. It was a great discussion. And someday when we have an open house sort of thing, I will bring a couple of those questions up. But, okay. Uh, thank you very much for doing it. 
No problem. I'll reserve some time for you uh, next class or um, then we can bring up some follow-up questions for that topic. Great. That's why I'm here. That's the whole purpose of this. The whole purpose of this is not to just have me talk. The whole purpose is to have a discussion and light your lamp to pursue your spiritual progress. Yes, me here. I, I just wanted to add, while we were discussing, I think the the traditional way uh, of, or I guess the way of like bullies and, and protesta and things it came up. Uh, I listened to one of the one of the provocations of Udayvallah uh, Maratai, who who explained a really in a really good way the concept of price value, cost, price, and value, which applies not only to to Jain religion and our bolis that we do, but it also applies to our uh, management concepts of what is cost, price, and value. I think uh, I, I will share that video if, if you have time. I think it's about 20 minutes or so. Uh, you can take a look, but it, it's a very interesting way of explaining why bullies and why we have those, those traditions and, and kind of why it may be necessary. But uh, anyways, just something to, to came to my mind so that I think I should share that. So Yes, very good. That will be directly impacted on our discussion of idol worship, obviously, the bully practice we have. Yes, Koshik. Well, I just wanted to add on that same subject. Nir and I had some discussion, Nir, you remember, a couple of weeks back. I think Nir has some good, interesting points on that as well. So maybe uh, that would help uh, whenever, uh, after watching the video, I think let's have some discussion around it. I think there is, it's uh, quite insightful. And Mir also, uh, we had some discussions around when Paresh was talking about uh, relationship, right, at work. Uh, we also had discussions around all the politics at workplace, right? And, and uh, uh, maybe uh, that is linked to the relationship. Relationship is not just family, but everybody we deal with. So we can uh, bring some of these topics uh, up front here when we get a chance uh, to make. Okay, so how about this? How about next class? Mihir and Koshik will take it and they'll talk about, they'll send the video for homework this week and we'll reserve some time at the very beginning for follow-up questions about uh, uh, Boresh's, um relationship uh, follow-ups. How about that? Does that work for everybody? Okay, great. You're making my job easier this week. I can't thank you enough. You made my job easier. That That's helpful to me and that's where we want that's where we want this discussion group to go, is to um, be in your hands. Just a disclaimer, you're not going to get a bunch of answers from us, it's going to be a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, even better. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, everybody. Have a great week.